You're listening to the Jerry and Jacoby podcast, Success Without Sacrifice, a podcast by two entrepreneurs at different stages of life, sharing real life experiences, managing a successful business and family life. It's honest talk about lessons learned, balancing family, faith, business, and personal growth on the journey of making our dreams a reality. Now, here are your hosts, Jerry and Jacoby. Hey, hey, welcome to the Jerry and Jacoby podcast, Success Without Sacrifice. I'm Jerry. I'm here with my good friend and co-host, Jacoby. And every episode, we're having an honest conversation about what really matters and how to create success without sacrificing what you love the most. And folks, have we got one for you today. We are interviewing our very own Jacoby Kendrick. And how this kind of came up in my head was I tend to basically be an open book uh, about my past, about a lot of the issues, a lot of stuff, a lot of the things that I'm overcoming in life or that I've overcome. And sometimes I know Jacoby thinks about this stuff, but he doesn't always verbalize it. And so we're going to put Jacoby under the spotlight today and see what we can extract. Are you ready? Uh Yeah, I guess I am ready. I mean, we talked about this, and so I'm kind of excited uh, to see what you've come up with. I just, I just, I guess I just realized that uh, I'm not really an open book, and so I'm really excited about what's uh, what's coming up here. So, take it away. Well, I think uh, you know, you just, I think you hold on to it. I mean, I, you and I have been to enough events, and we've hung out. We spent. Uh, a lot of one-on-one time and just kind of hanging out. And I think I've been able to get a glimpse into it, but there's some things that I'm curious about. And if I'm curious, I think our audience will be curious. Sounds good, man. I'm All excited. Right, so, I, wait, I don't have any idea where this is going. So yeah, I'm, um, let me strap in first. I have like a flow. This could go, I've got, I've got it mapped out. It kind of my, my outline looks more like a tree. So I'm where this could go. So we'll see. But to start, we always ask our guests, Success Without Sacrifice, you know the name of the podcast. Just uh, briefly, what does Success Without Sacrifice mean to you? Yeah, so Success Without Sacrifice, obviously we came up with the the name together, but the thing that pops in my head is, uh, it always comes back to me, the first image that I have is uh, being in the military and that's one of the reasons why I got out of the military is because every uh, retirement ceremony that I went to, it was either a Colonel or a general or somebody, the first person that they apologized to was to their family. And so, uh, you know, they apologized for not being at football games or birthdays or baseball games or whatever else it was. And so obviously that was a sacrifice for them. And, uh, that was just one sacrifice that I didn't want to make for my family. My dad was always there for me uh, growing up. He was at, my dad was at every football game, every basketball game to the fact that I even thought it was annoying at the time. But as I look at it now, I see it as a blessing, but um, that's kind of what I see is that you want to be successful. You want to look uh, at where you want to be at and how do you get there? And so looking at that journey, where do you want to be? But how do you get there without sacrificing your family and the things that are important to you? Yeah, and that's uh, basically wraps up why this whole thing, how this whole thing started. That's exactly right. You hear so many stories about successful people 
you know, we've done a couple of episodes about them. You know, they they have the worldly success and then, you know, they get a divorce or they're estranged from their kids or, you know, anything else. And so I think it's just good to think about those things and have a plan to make sure you keep everything that is important to you in the front of you. The other thing I, I, that the reason why I like it is because I listen to a lot of those, I don't know if it's stories or what, but there's like some study that they did. I'm just going to make the, make it up, but this is how it translates in my head is that they ask people at the end of their life, like, do you have any regrets? And always what people say or what sticks out to me that people say is like, it's not that they like made more money or anything like that. It's the fact that they didn't spend time with their family or they wish they would have said they're sorry, or they wish they would have said, I love you more to the, to the folks that they, that they love. And so those are the things that stick out to me. So that's what I think of when I think of success without sacrifice, like at the end of the day, I don't want to have those regrets that most people say they have. Yeah, you got yeah. So give us a glimpse of what current life uh, Jacoby looks like. The uh, kind of the nuts and bolts, like uh, where are you at, family, career. Just some, uh, just a quick overview. Let everybody know kind of where you're at today. What does today look like? Yeah. So today looks like running a real estate business, growing a real estate business, jujitsu working on being a purple belt world champion in jujitsu, three kids, a wife, and one more baby in the oven that should be here. Actually, by the time this podcast episode comes out, might actually be enjoying life with us. So that's where I'm at at the moment, raising kids, having a great family and uh, trying to grow a business. All right. How, uh, how long you been married? And what's your wife's name? My wife's name is Andrea. We have been married since 2009. We got married in July of 2009. So that's going to be 12 years. And yeah, it's about 12 years. 12 years and three. So three, three kids, kids, uh, names and ages. Eight, six and four, Carter, Brayden and Chloe. So yeah, got two boys and a little girl and then another little girl on the way. We don't know the name of our uh, of the little girl that's coming out soon, but uh, once she's here, we'll we'll know for sure. No name. You got a short list at least. Yeah, we do have a short list. I'm not going to share, but yeah, we, we don't have, have to share list. that. Yeah. So where we go from there? Uh, so that's current day Jacoby. So talk to me about little Jacoby. What was life <laughs> like uh, for little Jacoby? little Jacoby, huh? Yeah. yeah. So I grew up in, I grew up here in Midland, Texas growing up. Uh, life was good. Basically I was a sports, little sports kid. So my parents, uh, they supported me in all, all sports and everything that I, that I did growing up. So I played football, basketball, ran track, played baseball, t-ball, did that whole thing. And that's probably what I would say, like our life pretty much revolved around was just, you know, doing sports, being out athlete or athlete athletics and um you know i went to private school here all through grade school which there's a little bit of a story there and then uh public school from junior high on through high school and uh really uh what i would say is my identity was kind of being a jock i always wanted to play football in the nfl like that was basically my dream of what i wanted to do i didn't really think of it about doing anything else but 
playing football in the NFL or being a professional athlete or something like that. Those were the things that I kind of saw as being, you know, really what I wanted to do. So that's really it growing up. Yeah. Well, what, uh, what's this little story on the private school? You can't say there's a little story there. In <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I think, I think that's a lot of what, uh, grew me to who I am today. So, you know, everybody has, uh, adversity that they kind of go through and so here in midland if you've seen the friday night lights thing you know we're here in the south my dad grew up in midland uh when it was still segregated here so he uh he went to school across town it was all black school um and then i think the year after he graduated they actually seg or integrated the schools after he graduated from high school but i went to basically a private school it's all like a white kids there and uh you know there was a time where it was kind of tough you know kind of tough going to school there he had times where um you know people wouldn't eat with me that sort of thing and so you know i think during that time i really kind of got to know like really who i was it was like uh it's interesting time because I grew, I had a lot of friends that they grew up on the east side of town, which on the east side of town is, you know, I'd say is like lower economic, you know, the east side and the south side here in Midland. And then I grew up on the west side of town. And so I played football with all my buddies on the east side, but I went to school on the west side. And so I was a little too dark for the west side of town and i was a little too light for the east side of town and so it always as a kid growing up you know how kids are and so that was like a hard hard time for me as i look at it now though because i always look at the positive right i consider myself to be a chameleon and so it was helpful just to have both sides of that uh perspective what would you say was harder was it harder yeah what, what side of town was harder to be a part of it's all the same, man, because it's like, you don't, you just don't fit in. You know what I mean? So like, because I wasn't like, I played football with my buddies, but like, we didn't go to school together. So like everybody on our football team, they all went to school together. Like they had stories, you know, whatever happened at school or this or that, but yet I went to school in a different spot. So whenever we went to go play football, like they, they always accepted me, but you know how it is. Like your, your buddies are just, they're always ribbing you or giving you a hard time. And so I, you know, I've always had a chip on my shoulder if I don't know if it's necessarily true or not, but, you know, I've always had this thing where people said like, you know, your dad has given you everything that you've got, which in one sense is true. And I'm thankful for that. But in the other sense, I'm like, I do, I work hard though, you know? So I was given a lot. I didn't have to struggle for a lot, but I'm also grateful. And I've always worked for what I've had, what I have. And so I think that's part of where my work ethic comes from, because always in the back of my mind, I think people are saying like, oh, you, you, you didn't have to go through what we had to go through. Like you were given these things, you know? And so, yeah, but to answer your question, they both were hard. You know what I mean? And so there was also a girl in my, that went to my school. She was in, she was an albino girl. And so she kind of got treated the way I did. So that's why, you know, I've got this perspective of, you know, we, you get into the race, the race thing here in America, but I think it's just a human condition, right? We just, people that are different from who, who, from the norm, we just treat them differently. You know, that, I think that's just a human condition. And so we always actually would hang out quite a bit, uh, me and her, 
because we were kind of ostracized by folks in class and stuff. And so both of them were hard because it's hard when you're like in the minority, you know? And this is elementary school? Like this is elementary school, school kindergarten yeah. through sixth grade. Yeah. And then, uh, so let's talk about, you played football kind of in the lower economic area, but you were able to go to private school. So is, uh, talk to me about like growing up, like what you, with your dad's work and like what that looked like, because that sounds like that's probably something that separated you as well. Yeah. Yeah. So my dad, um, man, my dad's got a great, he's got a great story. Like, like I said, he grew up in the times when it was segregated. He tells me a lot of stories about, you know, how he would, uh, we're in the oil field. So he did a lot of work out on rigs. My dad was an oil field pipe inspector. And so now he's he was, older, correct? Yeah. He's my dad's, uh, life. yeah, my you? dad's 70, man, I think he might be 77. Okay. 77, 78, somewhere in there. So but he had you in his mid forties. Yep. He had me in his mid forties. I always used to ask my parents, I'd be like, was that a mistake? Like, did this happen? Yeah. Did y'all do this on purpose or what? Yeah. What about siblings then? Do you have any siblings? <laughs> I've got two half brothers and a half sister. So okay. my parents were, uh, yeah, they had uh, previous marriages. My mom has one son, uh, before they had me. And then my dad had a son and a daughter before, uh, they had me as well. So I've got two half brothers and a half sister. So you, I am. Yeah. The I second am, marriage child. I'm the second marriage yeah. child. I'm the youngest. My brothers, they're 40. They're in their fifties now. Wow. Fifties. And if you don't and think I, about the numbers, yeah. but yeah, we got like 20 year difference, 20 okay. year difference in there. So, so you're yeah. basically, you're an only child growing up. Then. I'm essentially an only child. Yeah. I only lived with my brothers for two years. So when they were juniors and seniors in high school, they lived with us. And so I lived with them during that time. I've never lived with my sister, but my two brothers, we lived together for a little bit. Those times were good, man. They were really fun. They like we did. Yeah. <laughs> I was into WWE or WWF back then wrestling. And so we would like wrestle on the trampoline and man, it was just play hide and seek. It was just, it was just wild. Good times. <laughs> good times with the brothers. Yeah, for sure. But what was the question? What am I answering? Well, we had talked about, you know, if it was hard or, you know, being in the public or element, you know, or being in the private school and, or being hanging out with your buddies on the East side. And uh, I think we kind of got there. So um, let's move on then to the, the, where you went over to public school and what was the, do you remember that? Like what drove that or what, you know, did you want to do that? Was that a movie you wanted to make? Did you want to leave private school to go back to the public school or? Yeah, it was kind of just a natural transition. So the school I went to, it was only from kindergarten to sixth grade. And so seventh through junior high through uh, high school, you know, it was already, it was going to be a transition either way. So then it was going to be a question of if you went to private school then, or just went to the public school. So I wanted to play football and, you know, do that thing. So it was just kind of a natural transition over. Mm -hmm. So it kind of just happened, wasn't really much of a conversation. And so we, we go over to public school and um, are you still kind of dealing with some of the same stuff you were dealing with when you were splitting time between the two areas or did that kind of play itself out? No, it played itself out then. I think the different, yeah, I mean, once I went to, like, once I went to junior high, there's, there's so many kids there. Like, it's just, it's a little bit different. So back when I was in private school, I think we maybe had like 12 kids in each class. And so it's a little, you know, you can be a little more cliquish there, but you know, once I got to, uh, 
public school, there's just so many kids there that you just find your crew and just kind of run with them. So it was good then. And then we just started playing football and yeah, it's good. It's good times after that. Yeah. So Midland uh, is in Texas, the considered West Texas, right? Yeah, it's considered West Texas. When I was growing up, it was literally all football. So it's hard to think of now because it's so far removed, but everything in Midland and Odessa, if you obviously it's the, you hear the book and the movie and the TV show Friday night lights. Well, only the book had been out during that time and it was Odessa Permian and Midland Lee. And, um, yeah, so that's all we did. So on Friday nights, the towns were shut down like this was basically like superstar. You wanted to play football for the Midland Lee rebels, or you wanted to play football for the Odessa Permian Panthers. Like that was basically, that was it. And so we have two high schools in each town. So we have Midland high and Midland Lee. We have Odessa high and Odessa Permian and one team would play at home and the other team would play away. And so Everybody was either out of town at the Midland Lee game following Lee around, or they were here in town at Midland High. We would have like, when we would drive to to the stadium, we basically like the town would shut down and the buses would drive through to the stadium. It's pretty, it's pretty wild. I can remember having more people at uh, a high school football game than a lot of games we had in college. <laughs> yeah. So I played high school football. And from, so obviously, I mean, the story, a lot of you guys know, Jacoby played at the, uh, at the the Air Force Academy. And so you had to be uh, obviously pretty good. Were you always on the upper talent level from little, you know, from peewee football up through middle school, high school? Yeah. I mean, I would say for the most part, yes. That time is so interesting to me, especially with kids growing up now. It's like, I didn't, I was really like a late, a late uh, bloomer, I guess you could say. So really when I got into ninth grade, it was a, it was like a real struggle for me uh, because a lot of kids were growing. They're just grow faster than you do. And so I started to, I got a little chubby is probably the way I would, I would put it. I was always super fast when I was in like grade school, very fast. I was like the fastest kid ever, like out of everybody, I was always one of the fastest. And then getting up through ninth through eighth grade, you know, that kind of changed because I think people just grew faster than me. And then, you know, from my, from my uh, sophomore to junior year, I gained probably like 30 pounds and I grew, I don't know, three or four inches. And I worked out like every day. Like I, I, I didn't have a license yet, but I would, my dad let me drive. We had this old Honda Accord. It was an 84 Honda Accord. It was Brown and I could drive it to school and back home. And that was it. And so we live really close to the school where I, when we, when I lived and, um, the weight room would, would open up. I don't even remember when it would open up. It was probably about six o'clock school didn't start till eight forty, And, uh, every morning my car was the first car at the, um, in line at the, in the, on the parking on the street. So you knew I was already there, but every morning I was there working out. And from my sophomore year to my junior year, I gained like 30 pounds. Was, I would say it was pretty much all muscle, but it's pretty crazy. Nice. Yeah. So what's your, one of the, what's like your best memory from high school football? Uh, my best memory from high school football, yeah, I would probably say it was my first varsity football game. So I think which, that first game. Which was what year? 
That would be 1990. I mean, your freshman, sophomore year. Oh, when did you? That was my junior year. Junior year. It was my junior year. So yeah, so I played with Cedric Benson. So Cedric mm-hmm. Benson, obviously, a lot of folks. Cincinnati Bengal, right? He yeah. played. Yeah, he played for the Bears. He played for the Bengals. He played yeah. for the Packers. But he was like the third round draft pick in the NFL, and was drafted by the the Bears and played at uh, UT. So we had already won one state championship. And then we had a a lot of guys leave. And then, uh, like I said, I had like a lot of growth. It was really crazy because I talked to my coaches and they're like, yeah, we thought you were going to be like a cornerback, but then you ended up being a fullback. It was pretty crazy uh, because I gained so much weight and got so much bigger. And uh, so everybody. Oh, yeah. 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 I was was still. Yeah. I was still fast then. I think I ran a 4-4, in the 40. But um, that year. Everybody was looking, obviously, because we had Cedric on our team. And so the first game, we had this really big, it's called the Texas High School Classic. And it was in San Antonio. We all went to San Antonio. And I ended up scoring three touchdowns, three touchdowns that game. And so it was really, uh, for one, it was awesome just because to play for Midland Lee is just, I can't describe it during that time, but it's just, it's almost like, I don't even know how to describe it. It's indescribable. <laughs> we had already won one state championship. Well, we had actually won two state championships. And so scoring three touchdowns my first game with that uh, in in the Alamo Dome was probably one of the best best memories I've got. And I also scored on a 50-yarder. So it was like a 52-yard run, which was, yeah, it was awesome. Nice. Yeah. Very good. Good memory, good memory. So... You had talked about you'd already won one state champ and then you had another one. So of the four years you were at Midland Lee, where did they sit in the state for those four years? Like what were the rankings? Yeah. Like where were you yeah. like uh, at the end of the year, did you go to? Yeah, we won state, state that year, year too. Yeah. So we won state three years in a row, my sophomore year, junior year, and then my senior year, we lost in the quarterfinals, which we should have won state that year too, but we did not. And then my sophomore year, we were number one in the nation and number one in the state, according to ESPN, USA Today. Okay. Yeah. Mid-90s USA Today stuff. Mid-90s USA Today. It's a little different now. Yep. Good deal. And then uh, what about being a student then? Uh, What kind of student were you? I was an awesome student. Like, here's a question. I have no idea what the answer is. This is something we've never talked about. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I was a really good student. So, you know, I was National Honor Society. I was in the top 10% of my class, all that stuff. I was homecoming king. So I was the homecoming king my senior year. I was class president Dang. as well my senior year. So like I was doing, I was doing all the things, man. Yeah. I was doing all, I was doing all the things. So, <laughs> man. yeah, my parent, my dad, like he was like, I need a picture of this homecoming king thing. Yeah, man. I, I yeah. have to go to my, my parent. My mom has all the pictures, man. I got yeah. the crown on all yeah. that stuff. And so, yeah, it's just, uh, I, I think I gotta, I think I need to come down to Midland. Just, you can stay at home. I'll go hang out with the, the Kendricks, <laughs> Mr. And Mrs. Kendrick. <laughs> yeah. They'll definitely give you all of the whole rundown on, uh, on all of that for sure. Well, they have to, I mean, she's got to have it all, especially you're talking like your dad went to, you'd mentioned earlier, your dad went to every football game. Did that include when you were at the Academy? 
Yeah, my dad went to every football. My dad, I don't, my dad, I think, has probably missed one football game in my entire life. And the only reason why he missed that is because he he got sick. He like got a blood clot and couldn't and literally couldn't go. He was like in the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, every single game. We were That's at West awesome. Point, they were there. We were in Chicago at Northwestern. They were there. They were they they traveled the whole country, you know. All right. So you're a, a great student playing on a a, a stud football team. Uh, we got to have all kinds of offers to go to college. Yeah. So my junior to senior year, you know, we had a, I would say pretty much everybody's kind of looking, I didn't have like any offers, but you're, you're getting letters from everybody, you know, Texas tech, Texas, plus all the good educational schools, which I never looked at. Cause I didn't, <laughs> I didn't really care about school. I just wanted to play football. So, you know, I had stuff from Liberty and uh, Brown and I think, Man, I can't think of the other school, but all, all the schools, all the good schools, you know, but I was, I only wanted to play football. So I didn't really look at any, at anything. Uh, the school I wanted to, I wanted to go to either SMU or I wanted to go to Oklahoma state. For some reason, those were the two schools that I, that I wanted to go to uh, that I looked at. And then my senior year, I got hurt the first game, uh, the first game of the season. So I tore my MCL the first game of the year which it should have been a really good year for me because everybody was watching us because Cedric had just left. And so now the story is, is like, now that Cedric is gone, who's going to like fill, fulfill that role. And so uh, that was kind of like myself. And we had one other guy who we were kind of like battling it out for the top tailback position. And I got hurt my senior year or the first game. So I didn't play for another nine weeks, I think. And so every week, uh, colleges would call the coaches and they'd be like, well, how'd you do this week? And I'd be like, well, I didn't play. And then eventually, you know, the calls just quit coming. Mm-hmm. And um, I was only supposed to be out supposedly like three to four weeks is kind of what my trainer told me. And then it just ended up being longer and longer and longer. So by the time that happened, you know, I told myself, I was like, I don't really care where I go. I want to play division one football. So that was like the stake in the ground for me. Cause I had a lot of division two, division three schools, like sending me all kinds of stuff, but I was like, I will, I will play division one. That's just, that was my only, my only stipulation. So basically by the time the season was over, air force was really one of the last schools that was out there. And I took a trip, I took a recruiting trip uh, to air force I took a, lot, a few recruiting trips, but I took a recruiting trip to Air Force. And when I went out there, it was like awesome. And I was like, why, how could I not go to this school? So basically after that trip, I committed there and the rest is history. See, so now we've interviewed two guys that went to the academy. I've got you and Sergio, and you both talked about visiting the campus and it just being, that's the place I have to be. So it must be something. Yeah, man. I don't know. Have you been there? No. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. If you ever go through Colorado and you're going to Denver from yeah south to north, you got to stop at the academy. It's like it's a special place. It's a special place. It's really good. Very good. So it is pretty crazy how I've got this um, group of Air Force Academy guys now that I know. Like I've got you, Sergio, Lance, uh, Coach Tim. And so I've I've heard all these academy stories. And when I whenever I meet somebody that's in the air force, then, uh, you know, that always just kind of comes up. And when you guys talk about it, it's one thing, but then like when I talk about it outside of you guys, 
like people hold that up on a pedestal, like, you know, oh, I want them the, the academy. You know, more guys that went to the academy than I do. And I was in the Air Force. And yeah, so obviously it's always an interesting perspective because obviously I think the Air Force Academy is a great place. But I think when you when you go there and you're actually in it, you just have a different perspective on things, right? And so it's it's really hard to get into the Air Force Academy. I don't because I went there, like I in my standards, I guess I would say, like I don't consider it to be hard. It's just kind of what you do. You know what I mean? And so it's always interesting to hear, you know people's perspectives on what they think of the air force academy and uh how they look at it so it's really interesting very nice so goes to the academy uh playing football uh played you play four years at the academy i played five years at the academy so i went to the prep school so i went to the prep school my first year because um for folks that aren't uh used to military life you do that one year it's almost like a red shirt year gets you used to military life also my sat and act scores were kind of borderline they could have gotten me in but it was like why don't we just let you go here uh you can check it out and then once you get done we call it go up on the hill so then you go up on the hill essentially and go to the academy so five years total five years total and what's a what's like a really good memory from academy football days a good memory from academy football days my best memory from academy football is one i didn't play in the game but when we went to tennessee you know there's like 103,000 people there to have 100,000 people in a stadium yelling and going crazy is probably one of the craziest experiences i've ever had so that that's uh that's one that was tennessee uh, you said at tennessee yeah that is so, um so is that the game inky got hurt in that is inky the game johnson? Inky johnson got hurt yeah yeah so that's pretty awesome and then also scoring my first touchdown collegiate touchdown was uh was also awesome just so, uh so tell me about that yeah basically i mean i was a freshman it's uh you know i was a freshman we were playing wofford <laughs> which is a division d2 school we were blowing them out so i got to play my first uh first game my freshman year came in and uh you know got the call and <laughs> went in and scored so what was the call let's get a little better on the storytelling here. i know man i just it's like you know you come in it's all a blur man it's like you come in and, and it's just i gotta i do have to work on my storytelling don't i the thing that i really liked about playing uh college ball is really just the build up to everything right so you you play you you work all week uh to play the game and then uh you know, the night before you kind of just have time with the guys and you're just kind of out there. And then we would actually go on the field and walk around and you kind of visualize how things are going to happen, what's going to happen and that sort of thing. And so those are really my favorite parts about playing ball is like the preparation for the games is really what I like the most. So it's like, you know, we, we walk out on the field, we're talking to each other and we're kind of just going over like how we're going to do things and then there's a time you just sit in the stands, you sit in the stands and you just kind of visualize what's going to happen. And so, you know, visualizing this being like the dream that I've always had is to play college football. And then it actually happens on, you know, is actually going to happen on, on a Saturday, uh, the next Saturday coming in. It was actually really emotional for me. And then that day, you know, the day comes, you get called in, you go in and, uh, you're just, you're just super nervous and they call the play you run you score and it's like uh you know it's just really good to um 
to have that kind of have that dream come true. So that's, that's kind of how, yeah, that's just kind of how it happened. But that was, uh, that's one of the best, uh, one of the best memories for me. So here we are, we're um, in the air force. So now we're getting ready to finish our football career at the air force. You're what, 22, 23 years old at that point. And up to this point, like who are the kind of the biggest mentors in your life? Who, who do you look back and, <clears throat> you know, as I look at st- who are the guys that stood out and really stepped up for you in the, through those years. Yeah. Really for me, like the guys that I looked up to were just guys that I saw on TV. So like, you know, Michael Jordan, Emmett Smith, like all those, those were the only guys that, that I really looked up to. And my, <clears throat> and obviously my dad who uh, was just a great, he was just a great role model for me as far as work and all those things. So growing up, we would always go to like, Emmett Smith football camp in the summer. Like those were just the types of things that we did. And so we just go and we'd see these guys and uh, try to actually get, you know, hear from them and, and do those things. So growing up, those were the, those were the guys that uh, I really, really looked up to and probably had the most influence on me during that time. During those times, I didn't really think about those things though, you know? So like, as I do now, like, as I think of yeah. them, as I look for people to, uh, to be mentors in my life now. And I'm really intentional about it back then. I was not, it wasn't even a thought, you know, whoever came into my life, that's just kind of who, what happened. Yep. It was just like, it was just like a passing, a passing thing. So it wasn't even a, wasn't even a thought. Very good. So you're 23. What is the, what, what is your requirement to the air force when you're done playing football in the academy? Yeah. So it's like a five-year commitment. The crazy thing is, is like when I went to the Academy, I knew nothing about the Air Force Academy. So, you know, originally when I got recruited, I got a letter. <laughs> I remember I walked into the uh, field house and my coach was like, Hey, you got some stuff here from the Air Force. And I was like, I don't want to go to the Air Force. I want to go play football, you know? And so I didn't even know they had a football team. I didn't even know it was a school. I knew, I knew nothing. And so uh, all I wanted to do was play football. And then when I got there, the other crazy thing is like somebody gave me terrible advice when I first got to the academy. And what they said was, is like, D's are for done. So they basically explained that for the, for your classes. And uh, nobody explained also that you needed like a 2.0 GPA in order to play football. So everybody's like, man, D's are for done. And I was like, these are for done. That's right, man. So I was like, I did the bare minimum yeah, because I had done so much in high school. Like I, once I got, you know, away from my parents and all that, it was just like so much pressure was released. I like literally didn't want to do anything. I was like, I just want to play football. Like that's all I want to do. And, um, these so are actually, yeah, these are for done. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah. But the problem is you have to have a 2.0 GPA to actually play. And so I struggled in the beginning, uh, when I was at the Academy because my grades were so low. So I went from like being the best in the class to being like the worst in my, uh, class, which is, which is pretty crazy. And so, uh, I don't know where I was, where I was going with that, but basically, um, what were you talking about? Oh, here. Yeah. So, so yeah, the commitment afterwards is, uh, the reason why I was telling that story is because I didn't, I didn't know anything about the air force. I didn't know no one in my family had been, in the military. My dad was in the army reserve, but I didn't know what job I wanted to do. I didn't know what I wanted to do afterwards. Um, and Andrea and I had just started dating my senior year in uh, college. And so the thing for me was we have this, 
event. It's called Hundreds Night. It's basically the hundred hundred days before graduation. They give your your assignment of where you're going to go at the academy. And I was like, um, I don't really care where I go as long as it's in the United States. I got this new girlfriend now. I just want to be close. And so <laughs> we like they do this whole thing. I think it was like wrapped up in a candy bar or something like that. You open the candy bar and on the wrapper, it says like where you're going to go next. And so everybody knows where a lot of the bases are. And so I opened my, I'm all excited, man. Yeah. So, yeah. So I'm, I'm excited too. I'm like, Oh man, where am I going to go? Like my first choice, most of my choices were like in Florida. So I wanted to either be at like McDill or, uh, Hurlburt field or something like that. I just wanted to, I was like, I'll go to Florida, be down there, hang out, chill. And then I opened mine up and it says Kunsan Air Base. And I literally have no clue where this is. And so the girl next to me, her name's Lindsay, she was like, oh my gosh, you're going to Korea. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, oh man. And she was like so pumped because everybody, everybody wants to go overseas. I'm like literally the only person that does not want to go overseas. And mine's not even an Air Force base. It's an air base. It's not an Air Force base. It's an air base. So I'm like, oh, okay, perfect. And the 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 base is so great that you can't even have any dependence when you're there. It's a remote assignment. <laughs> so it's like a one-year remote assignment so the one thing that i was really hoping for to be closer to my girlfriend uh was just shattered in that night so but it was a really good experience i loved being in korea but uh that was my first assignment after after the academy five years and if you when you are leaving the academy you play football for them like do you if you have a chance to go to the nfl do they work with you on that or do you have to just go serve your one year and then figure yeah, the so, NFL out? Yeah. So yeah, if you want to play in the NFL, which I wanted to play in the NFL, I wasn't good enough to, to make it. Nobody was looking at me uh, after, after I got done in college. Uh, but yeah, you got to go do two years. And then after your two years, then you can come back and play and serve the rest of your time in the reserve. Okay. Do they let anybody go right from the Academy to the NFL? They have done that. They've like done a few waivers for that, but those are like few and far between. Yeah. Like they don't do that a lot. Chad Hennings is like uh, one of the main, a lot of folks know who Chad Hennings is. He went to the air force Academy. He's like an awesome story. He's like a fighter pilot. He was a fighter pilot in the Gulf war. He's won a super bowl. It's like the American dream. It's absolutely awesome. Played for the Dallas Cowboys. You need to be leveraging uh, the Air Force Academy relationship and get them on the podcast, man. No, actually, we should. Yeah, we should do that. That's a great thought. He actually was here like four years ago. Uh, Spoke with him. Yeah, four years ago. He came here to Midland. It's a good time. Very good. So, all right. So you're off to Korea for a year. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, And then here's another area that we haven't talked a lot about. Like, what was your assignment? What do you, what did you do in the air force? What was your job? Yeah. So when I came into the air force, I was a communications officer. When I got out of the air force, I was a cyber operations officer. So they had transformed our career. Yeah. It sounds, it's amazing. They, uh, they transformed it into the, uh, cyber operations. So no longer are we an air force. We are actually an air and space force now. So, uh, but my first job in the Air Force, I was an executive officer. So basically, I was the um, uh, right-hand man to 
our maintenance group, which we had 46 F-16s that we, my guy, my uh, boss was responsible for. And I was basically his right-hand man. I did everything, everything that came into his office. I looked at it first, got it over to him, setting his schedule, doing all kinds of stuff. And it's normally, normally that job's for a captain. And I was a second lieutenant, which means I was actually brand new. So being put in that job, as a brand new second lieutenant is like very, very rare. So I got some really good experience. It was really fun because I was always out on the flight line with, uh, on the F 16s checking them out. And, uh, yeah, it was a really, really good time. And then, so how do, uh, how do enlisted guys or the stand, like guys that didn't go through the Academy and I don't know the terminology there, how do they handle like somebody that slides in from the Academy into that chain of command? Yeah. I mean, for, for, for in the air force, it's like our enlisted folks are the backbone of the air force. Right. And so you have enlisted and you have officers and, uh, the enlisted know that an officer is going to come in and they're going to be there two years. And then somebody else new is going to come in. So enlisted folks are the continuity for the air force. They're what runs the air force. And then officers were just basically the managers. And so for myself, I'm always been a people person. And so my one of my leaders at the uh, academy told me the first thing you do is you find a chief master sergeant and you sit under their wing and you basically learn from them and so my approach was always like i'm going to learn from the enlisted folks and i'm going to learn from senior enlisted folks and they're basically if you if you fall in line with them you're gonna you're gonna be totally fine so there's some there's some people who don't know how to take leadership and they get put in a role and they think they're the man and uh as far as responsibility i was the man but as far as running the show i was not the man and so i knew that uh my enlisted people were the ones who were gonna like make us successful so you know for me it was it was always easy but uh you never know what you're gonna get with an academy graduate all right yeah, I guess that could go. That could go either way, I suppose. Uh, you had told me a story one time about, and I don't know a ton about, but there's a building that actually sits on the border of North Korea and South Korea, and you were there. And so, jump into that. Tell me, tell that story. I think that's pretty cool. You're one of the. You're the only guy I ever know that. Yeah. So basically, it's the DMZ, right? It's called yeah. the demilitarized zone between North Korea and South Korea. And if you, I had never been there, so I didn't really know much about the Korean War, didn't know much about Korea, North Korea and South Korea and the tensions there and all that. But uh, it's, it's, it's not a, it's pretty crazy when you get, when you get up to that line, right? So as you're going up to the border, there's all these signs that basically say there's landmines out on the sides of, of, uh, each side of the line. So if you want to go into North Korea, there's only a few places where you can actually go into North Korea. And if you don't go in at those specified points, you take the risk of being blown up by a landmine. So nobody's trying to get in and out through any other way besides this at the DMZ or other access points. Right. And uh, Korea is really interesting. They have a, (laughs) uh, they tell the stories of like, you know, on the South Korean side, you know, they might build a building and it might be like two stories high and then North Korea would see that and they would be like, okay, well now we're going to build a building and it's going to be three stories high. And South Korea is like, oh, you think you're good? Well, we're going to build a building that's four stories high. And so it's literally always how can they kind of one up each other? 
but whenever you get up there, they just, they line everybody up and, you know, on, on the North Korean side, I still remember there was a guy sitting in the building and he was, he was looking at us through these binoculars, just watching us. And there were probably like three guys out in front and they walk us out. They say, okay, we're going to walk you out. We're going to walk into the building here. When we line you up, stand in a straight line, do not point, don't make any gestures or anything at the other side, you know, just basically be quiet, fall in a single file line and walk into this building. And so it's a, uh, it's a pretty surreal experience and, and they've got their South Korean soldiers got awesome hats, glasses, just in full dress and dead serious. And so he walks in, he walks on the other side. He's going to make sure that nobody from North Korea comes into the other side, uh, I guess, to take us while we're in, while we're in this building. But it's, uh, it's super, it's the craziest thing you'll ever go because it's like, so there's doors to the building on both sides. There's doors to the building on both sides. The building like straddles the line. And so when you go in the building, when you can walk in, because that's the safe, you can't walk over into North Korea, like outside the building. Mm. But if you're inside the building, you can walk over into North Korea. And so like, that's essentially like the big, the big thing is like, Hey, I'm actually in North Korea now. And, uh, everything is so different. It's so distinct. So there's literally like a cement line and then South Korea has the way that they want their cement and everything on their side. And then North Korea wants it the way they're done. And you can see the clear distinction between the two. And it's, it's a really interesting uh, point. Actually the day we went to uh, we went to uh, the DMZ a South Korean got killed in North Korea. It was pretty, pretty heightened, heightened uh, tensions during that time. It was pretty wild. A South Korean got killed in North Korea. A South Korean. They were like going to visit family or something in North Korea, and they actually got killed there. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. So you've been in North Korea, but in I have been place. in North Korea yeah. legally. Have you been in illegally? I have not been in illegally. No. <laughs> right. I would never do it, man. It's it's so wild, man. They they tell the stories like uh, they they almost started the war again. I can't remember the name of the battle, but because they do so much surveillance, they want to see everything that's going on. One time there was a bush, and it was covering up part of the road, and it was falling into North Korea. And the guy went by to like cut the bush so they could see, and it started another another battle. You just like it's just. The heightened tensions there. It's wild. Yeah. Crazy. It's actually, and the war's still going on right now. Yeah. You know? I don't know if that one's ever going to end. Well, there's two other, as we're getting, you know, we're way into this. Uh, there's two other things that I definitely want to touch on. I want to hear, I want I want you to tell your uh, story of pursuing your NFL dream and what that looked like and how that road went and then where it kind of shifted for you. Yeah. So as I said before, like I didn't have any offers or anything to play in the NFL after I got done and you have the two year commit, the two year commitment that you have to do. So it makes it really hard to play in the NFL if you're not really, really good because NFL teams only have a certain amount of slots. Right. And they can't save, they can't wait two years on a guy who's, you know, just average. They can just go find someone else. <clears throat> the margins in the NFL are so slim. And there's a lot of good football players out there. So I was getting close to my commitment being up. I don't remember exactly what year it was, but I think I had one year left uh, that I was going to have to be in the Air Force. 
and I had been working out and I was in really, really good shape. And I was like, man, I'm, I think I'm going to give this NFL thing one more try. And so I uh, spoke with Andrea about it. We talked about it and we were like, okay, we're going to give this thing a try. So I, um, I started working out basically doing three a days. I did three a days. I was doing three a days. So I'd work out in the morning. I would uh, work out at lunch on my lunch break. And then I would work out again after, after I got off work. The crazy thing is I remember running a 40 with uh, one of my really good friends. He, he, he ended up uh, training me uh, to get ready for this. But when I told him I wanted to do it, I wasn't doing a lot of sprinting. And so you know, if you're not training for sprinting, you just, you just don't do it. I remember we went out to the high school and I ran a 40 and I ran a four, nine, <laughs> a four, nine 40, which is slow. <laughs> um, and so we start training for this thing and, uh, NFL, NFL life is, is hard. You know, there's you, 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 you're on a team one day and then you're cut the next and then you're trying out for another team in a different city the next day. And so, you know, getting mentally prepared for all that and training and uh, getting everything was, was uh, really hard. I had to find an agent. I found an agent in Forsyth. Is it Forsyth, Mississippi or Forsyth, Georgia? I can't remember where, uh, where it was, but I found me an agent. I was talking to all these agents. You, you cannot find a real estate agent if, or not a real estate agent, <laughs> a uh, sports agent, if you're not right out of college, right? You would think you wouldn't know how hard that was unless you tried to do it. So it's like, you're calling up guys and I'm like, Hey, I'm thinking about playing. And they're like, Oh, okay. Well, when, what school did you go to? I'm like, I went to air force and that's already a knock against you because we don't have a lot of guys playing in the NFL from air force. And then the next knock is it's like, yeah, I also graduated in 2007, you know, and it's like 2012 now. <laughs> and they're like, aren't you a little old to be trying to play in the NFL? And I'm like, two, I'm like 24, man. What's up with that? They're like, aren't you a little old? like I'm 24. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's just crazy that, that, you know, 24, 25 years old is old, uh, starting to get old in the NFL. So I finally find me an agent and we're training, uh, going to Mississippi for training, training in Florida as well. And, uh, you know, the crazy thing is, is that during this time, uh, the collective bargaining agreement is about to expire for, uh, for the NFL as well. And so, you know, as we start getting ready to, uh, to start, uh, running, you know, the draft is coming up, uh, the combines coming up. And then after the combine, each college does a, uh, a, does a pro day. And so we're in Florida and Florida state is, is right close to us. So I was planning on, you know, either I was going to go back to Colorado and run at air force or I was going to do it in Florida. And so we ended up, I ended up talking to a buddy of mine and our old athletic director uh, was actually the athletic director at Florida state. So our athletic director that was at the air force Academy ended up being at Florida state. And so I got the opportunity to run at Florida state at their pro day and nobody except Florida state players ever run at the pro day at Florida state. So it was already, already uh, pretty much, phenomenal that I got to actually run at Florida state. So I'm getting there. And, uh, so we, the, uh, CBA has actually run out. And so they are not only people that are supposed to be able to run at this pro day are college players. Cause I'm considered, they're trying to figure out if I'm 
they don't know how to categorize me. They don't know if I'm a free agent or if I'm actually a collegiate player or what's going on because I've had so much time since I played college ball. And so literally we get there and the guy's measuring, he's about to measure my hand because they do a hand measurement and they're like, Hey, this guy, this guy, uh, he can't, he can't, uh, he can't run because he's, he's not a, uh, he's not a college guy. And the guy's like, no, he can, he's an air force guy. He's a veteran. So let him, let him go ahead and do it. And so literally the guy, like we're sitting there and I remember praying like, right before everything started because I was talking to my agent and he was like, I don't know if they're going to let you run or not. And so I had literally trained for almost a whole year and it came down to this one small decision of actually being able to run or not. And so it was really, really, uh, it's crazy. It just kind of takes me back. So I get to run, we do everything. Everything's good at the, uh, at the pro day and, uh, ran really well. I actually ran a four, five, two forty which is crazy going from a four, nine to a four, five, two. And, um, you know, I talked to the, the Dallas Cowboys there. They wanted, they actually wanted me to come to, uh, to camp in the summer. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, they never worked out the collective bargaining agreement that, that year. And so that was like my last time, uh, talking to any of the player, any of the teams, uh, we got one more day to talk to them before the draft and they told us basically like, Hey, we're only concentrating on the draft. And so, um, you know, that was the last time we spoke to anybody. They didn't have camps that summer. And, uh, so that was really, uh, how we did it. We, I gave it one shot. I wasn't going to, you know, drag Andrea around for, for, uh, the next year. So super tough. Man, crazy how that, the timing of the, CBA and then just kind of these things that I just don't know then. Yeah, it was a good time though. You know, it was uh, the uh, mental preparation for that whole thing of just, you know, the three a days and all that was just really taxing, but uh, learned a lot through the whole process. It was, uh, yeah, it was really good. That's awesome. Well, so we are going to kind of end it on that. Um, It it was great just kind of having you unpack some things, some things that I didn't know, uh, some things uh, our audience definitely didn't know. I am going to have you work on your, uh, you have you hone those stories in a little bit because you don't ever, because <laughs> you internalize. So you don't ever like, you don't want to share them. Right? I don't know that you don't want to share them, but you just don't. And uh, so we got an internal processor. We've got to get them out. Yeah. So you internally process and I just run my mouth. <laughs> so, For sure. Yeah. So we are a, a good balance in that. Um, you know, the other big thing in your life, as far as what you're doing, uh, the two things are right now you got jujitsu and you have real estate. Um, and we get to hear about that quite a bit. So I don't think we need to spend a lot of time on it, but, uh, you know, it's been great watching you pursue your jujitsu dreams. And then what's even from my standpoint, it's a little, I like watching how you're trying to pursue that and balance and in the business and family. And we've talked about that before we don't. Uh, neither we agree that there is no such thing as work-life balance and uh, that there's that is always out of balance in some way uh, so to watch you wrestle with uh, your desire to do jujitsu at a high level your desire to do real estate at a high level and your desire to be a great husband and dad at a high level and watching you just kind of wrestle that you got a lot of great things uh, a lot of great uh, memories history stories 
but in knowing where you've come and where you where you're headed i think the best is yet to come and i'm super excited to be a part of that awesome man yeah it's good uh it's crazy how all the stuff yeah the stuff we do culminates uh into where we currently are so it's been uh it's been good i'm excited too for for where we're going in the future yeah and so this one we're ending a little a little unusual a little weird that uh weirder than we usually do um but we're just kind of going to cut it off if you guys ever have any questions for either of us or anything that popped up in this that you want to talk to jacoby about hit us up uh you can private message us the one thing about real estate agents we are the easiest uh group of people to find google us and you will have our cell phone number and so if you ever have any questions you want to talk about anything that we've ever talked about or that we talked about today man hit us up we are definitely open to chatting it up with you guys uh love that you listened uh if you can please leave a five-star uh review on whatever application you're listening to your podcast on that is always super helpful you guys have a great one and we will look forward to getting the next episode out for you thanks for listening to this week's episode of the jerry and jacoby podcast if you walked away with something of value we hope you'll share it with a friend and don't forget to subscribe on itunes or wherever you get your podcast so you get notification of all new episodes 